Shea butter and popcorn. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Sit back, relax, and listen. Friday's gonna have you glistening. Get ready for a real good vibe. Shea butter and popcorn. Now live. Welcome to Shea butter and popcorn with Taj and Chels, season two, episode eighteen. Shea Butter and Popcorn is the all-inclusive podcast giving you the exclusive. This podcast focuses on reviewing our favorite films. My name is Chelsea, a.k.a. Chels, singer, actor, and all-around movie lover. Taji, let them know who you are and what we're talking about today. What's up, y'all? It's your girl Tajiana here, a.k.a. Taj, also actress, filmmaker, and activist lover of all things Black, Black narratives, Black stories, Black everything and today we are talking about one of my personal favorites little indie darlings yes we are little indie indie movies are so cool y'all and so there's movies i didn't know were indies until i did research for this episode and i was like wow you know because you don't always know right say independent you know and no they're not all a24 movies okay right not every indie distributed by a24 they're not even indies at that point you're literally just an A24 film. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> so that's another conversation. Awesome. I'm like, I love them, but dang. Right? I don't get it. Man, shout out to all the mothers or maternal figures or siblings that act like the mom and have to step in and stand up. It is Mother's Day weekend this weekend. So exactly. if you have a mother, mother figure, maternal, hug, tell them you love them, hug them, kiss them. Kiss oh, them. Seriously. Happy Mother's Day weekend, you guys. Okay, so (laughs) let's get into our movies. First film, I talked about this film last season when we talked about our favorite directors. And, um, oh my goodness. And I talked about Quentin Tarantino. And, of course, I got to do it one time for the one time because I really Again. Oh my God, it's an indie film too. What? (laughs) Oh my God. Every film student's uh, top five favorite film, Pulp Fiction. (laughs) Yes! It's an epic, of course, because that's how Quentin makes movies. Vincent Vega, played by John Travolta from Greece (laughs) and everything else. And Jules Winfield, played by Samuel Jackson from, like, everything. Um, Our hitman with a penchant for philosophical discussions, which is so quirky, but it works. And this ultra-hip, multi-strand crime movie, all right, I'll say that again, it's very hip, but it's multi-strand crime movie because, like, there's other parts where it jumps over here and you're like, what does this have to do with that until the end? And you're like, oh, my God, now it makes sense. So, yes, very good. Uh, The storyline is interwoven with those of their boss, gangster, Marceus Wallace, played by Ving Rhames, who went to Juilliard, by the way. Yeah, so talented. Um, His actress wife, Mm -hmm. Mia, played by Uma Thurman, a.k.a. Kill Bill. Struggling boxer Butch Coolidge, played by Bruce Willis. Die Hard. <laughs> Master fixer Winston Wolf, played by Harvey Keitel. And a nervous pair of armed robbers. Uh, Pumpkin, played by Tim Roth. And Honey Bunny, played by Amanda Plum. Tim Roth, I believe, Pumpkin, I believe he was in Reservoir Dogs. I think he was also. I love all these credits. Oh I God. love all these credits that you're spinning. <laughs> right? I love also it. From and from, mm-hmm, and also this. <laughs> uh, this story's broken into like seven parts, 
Each scene purposely plays for the narrative of this tale. It's multi-strand, of course. One of my favorite scenes is when Mia and Vincent go on their diner date. This is basically everybody's favorite scene. And she tells them about her failed TV show and they dance. And then, of course, she does a line of coke in the bathroom and she like overdoses <laughs> back at her place because she does more cocaine. And the whole segment of her, of him, excuse me, reviving her is just golden. I mean, the relationship uh, between the two hitmen and the quips back and forth with the dialogue between Jules and Vincent is so wild and it's so funny and it's just like it's awesome um if you haven't seen it please educate yourself please check out this movie i know it's like 26 years old but it's very very good it's so good um according to mental foss there are some fun facts about this film um vincent vega's 1964 uh cheville malibu was stolen after filming and was not found for two decades wild um tarantino very much had jackson in mind for the role of jules when he auditioned paul cauldron he was so struck by the performance that he almost hired him so samuel jackson desperate to get his role back flew back to la and auditioned for tarantino again and got the role and michelle pfeiffer was first choice for the role as mia so i thought that was interesting yeah michelle pfeiffer was also the first choice for um signs of the lambs that we talked about a few weeks back yeah so interesting how stuff works out um but everybody that was in this movie was supposed to be in this movie because they absolutely killed it it was so so good uh that's pulp fiction 1994 fun indie film second movie now this is not as violent or uh comedic but it has some comedic parts it's very deep though beast of the southern wild 2012 directed by ben zietzlin Best line in the whole movie. She says, Mama, I think I broke something. <laughs> Literally the best. <laughs> Me at seven years old. No, I didn't even say anything. I would just try to glue it back together. Right? Best line in the whole movie. Uh, when the storm hits and everything's flooding. Um, it's Hurricane Katrina, of course, that's happening. A six-year-old hush puppy, played by Quavonjane Wallace, lives with her father, Wink, played by Dwight Henry, in a remote Delta community. Wink is a stern task make master, but he is preparing his young daughter for the end of the world. So when Wink falls mysteriously ill, nature seems to fall ill with him. Temperatures rise, the ice caps melt, and fearsome prehistoric beast called aurochs run loose. So rising waters threaten to engulf the community, sending Hush Puppy in search of her long-lost mother. Daddy said mama was so good looking, she never had to turn on the stove. She just walked by and the heat would be on. <laughs> I love that line too. That's the retellings of Hush Puppy has from her like childlike perspective is so endearing. Um, Kovajane Wallace got nominated for Best Actress at the 2013 Academy Awards for her role in this movie. So good. Such great stuff. Um, she was also uh, Annie in Annie with Jamie Foxx. That was a cute film. Uh, it's an amazing film. It shows a humanistic perspective in a surreal way. I feel like everybody should check it out. I feel like even though I got the accolades, this movie is kind of slept on because there's a lot of people that like had heard of it but never like watched it. So, you know, one of those would be like, oh my gosh, so important, but don't take the time to watch it. Please take the time to watch this. I believe it's available to rent to stream on Amazon Prime. My last film is Dope, 2015, directed by Rick Famuya. <laughs> I remember going to the theater. Oh, yeah. This movie. Oh, my gosh. So good. 
You got 90s fashion, but in present day. Of course, there's some drugs. There's some college applications. There's uh, Zoe Kravitz and Chanel Iman with a twin. Yes! Um, I'm talking about dope, y'all. Dope. Hey, hey, hey. Lakeith Stanfield is even up in that thing. He plays the bully. This he is? is? Good. Mm-hmm. He's the bully. He talking about, come up out of those, fam. <laughs> come up out of those, fam. His Jordan. Yeah, come up out of those. Oh, my gosh. Lakeith and Shamik. Ah, this movie is so good. Okay, Shamik, let me just say that I was the first one to hop on your Insta Live the other day. Who's that girl who was in the live? Who is she? That you better be your sister. That's all. Do your thing, girl. Do your thing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> so high school senior Malcolm, played by Shamik Moore, Taj's baby daddy, and his friend. Exactly. And his friends, Jib, played by Tony Rivalori. Yeah, that's it. And Diggy, played by Kiersey Clemens. Um, and Tony was in, like, Spider-Man and I think the Grand Budapest Hotel as well. I think he was in that, too. Um, Kiersey Clemens, she's done a lot of great stuff, like Heart Speaks Loud or Lady and the Tramp on Disney+. Plus. Some super fun films. So they bond over 90s hip-hop culture and their studies and... Uh, they bond over 90s hip hop culture, excuse me, their studies and playing music in their own punk band. So a chance encounter with a drug dealer named Dom, played by ASAP Rocky, lands Malcolm and company at the dealer's nightclub birthday party. When the scene turns violent, they flee with the ecstasy that Dom secretly hid in Malcolm's backpack. So a wild adventure ensues as the youths try to evade um, armed thugs who want the stash. And these youth, uh, these kids, they are in Inglewood, of course, but they're not the stereotype. So all this time they're playing against it and they end up in the middle of a huge stereotype. So it's really funny. Um, It gets a little preachy and deep at the end, but it's worth the watch. I think that a lot of people would enjoy this movie. I know I did. It's available to rent and stream on Amazon Prime or you could just buy the DVD like I did. (laughs) It is so good. Everyone should check out Dope. Those are my movies for this week, my indie films. Um, I hope you enjoyed them. Also, sidebar, I think Pharrell was like over like music consultant for this movie and like help with production as well. And Forrest Whitaker narrates in this movie. So it's just gold. It's gold. Um, those are my films for this week. Hope you enjoyed them. Taj, you let me know what yours are. Starting off with Daughters of the Dust. I'm pretty sure all of you have heard of it. It is so, um, it is so like well regarded. Um, it was uh, produced in 91 um, and it's filmed. Um, it's This film is written, directed and produced by Julie Dash, the queen. Um, and it's the first, first feature film directed by a black woman distributed theatrically in the U.S. Ooh. So just putting that out there, historic. Um, this film is just so, so heartfelt um it, it's set in 1902 and it tells the story of three generations of gola also known as gichi uh, women in the Pazant family on the saint helena island as they prepare to migrate to the north on the mainland um so this film really received a lot of praise for the visuals um the gola dialogue and the non-linear storytelling it's a very unique film um it's such a classic um and uh, the cast 
like I just want to say the acting was just so naturalistic like it was just like it was like watching like I don't know your aunties or like your I don't know it it was just great um yeah and also like being the talking about the visuals like it was selected for the Sundance 91 dramatic competition and the DP um Arthur Jaffa won the top cinematography prize it just looks so beautiful um so basically it tells the story of um the Gullah Islanders who live at Evo Landing and shout out to Beyonce and Lemonade if you guys watch um the visuals in that there's in one of the videos I forgot which song that's for but it shows all of them walking in the water um and that was a testament to the Ebo landing and oh, yeah. um, our people and our ancestors wow. maybe love mm-hmm. drought or love dr- yeah 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 I think it was love drought I love um, the thing so. sorry what will you say at my funeral now that you've killed me <laughs> I was like huh <laughs> serve us serve us <laughs> I remember hearing that and I was like wait Ooh. whoa <laughs> too deep are you eating on our people are too powerful door the water's gushing out (laughs) i read the holy book i fasted for 72 days i levitated (laughs) the speeding up and the slowing down killed me seeing her i was just i was in a trance i was like i love this so much i was like whatever whatever i did i apologize i know so much uh I it love was so much. It was so, um, <laughs> yeah, it was so creative and just so like, just, oh my gosh, the feelings and like just her being transparent about the stuff that she feels and how she relates to the world and like her people and stuff is just so great. Um, but basically it talked about how, you know, their ancestors um, were brought there as enslaved people centuries ago, obviously. And um, the Islanders developed a language which is known as um, Gullah or Sea Island Creole English. Um, and that culture was Creolized from West Africans. Shout out West Africa um, on my Nigerian stand up. Um, West Africans of Igbo, which is actually the language that my dad speaks. Igbo, uh, Yoruba, Kikongo, Mende, and Chui origin and the cultures and languages of um, British too. Um, and so basically it shows like their isolation on large plantations, um, and like how their culture and language developed over time. And, um, so basically the dialogue is Gullah Creole to be frank. Um, so it's narrated by the unborn child, the future daughter of, um, Ellie and Eula, whose voice is influenced by accounts of, um, her ancestors. So, um, the film actually, it's kind of like, like poetic visual images. Um, and like the narrative structures are basically there to, um, represent the past, present and future. So it's like a 360, like circular narrative structure. I don't know how to explain it, but, um, for the Gullah, the majority of who are about to, all of them who are about to embark for the mainland, um, in a more modern way of life. So it shows like, the turmoil between that, how like the older people on the land, um, the elders are kind of like, we, we've built this place. Like, this is all we need. And like the younger generation is like, now I'm taking my family and we're going, um, to the mainland so that we can live this more modern way of life. So you kind of see like the, um, dichotomy and like tension between the two generations, um, or the, yeah, the different generations. Um, and so, um, 
basically I'm referring to the community matriarch Nana Pazant, um, who practice she practices African and Korea, uh, Caribbean spiritual rituals and um she and she says uh, of the unborn child we are two people in one body the last of the the old and the first of the new and um it also hints on uh the con- <laughs> the contrasting cousins viola a devout christian and yellow mary a free spirit who has bought who has brought her lover trula from the city um and yellow mary basically because she's light skinned and um she's like criticized one because ended it <laughs> Yes, <laughs> she's light-skinned. Um, she's she's called Yellow Mary, and she also because her mother is a woman. She's like criticized for many different reasons. Like, ironically, she's the lightest one, but like everybody else is darker than her. So she's just getting clowned for like two different things. Um, so they arrive at the island in a canoe from their homes on the mainland for for a last dinner with their family before everybody you know does their own thing. Um, so it's kind of like she's kind of like the bougie one a little bit. Um, and so um, she, Yellow Mary plans to leave um, for another location after her visit. And then Mr. Sneed, a mainland photographer, accompanies Viola and takes p- portraits of the islanders before they leave their way of life forever. Um, so it's just really changing the trajectory uh, trajectory of like future generations and like your culture and stuff like that. Intertwined with these narratives is the marital uh, rift between um, Eli and his wife who are about to give, um, she's about to give birth um, after being raped by a white man on the mainland. Very unfortunate. Um, And so it shows Ellie struggling with the fact that Eula's child um, may not be his. And so, yeah. Um, Other family member stories unfold between these narratives. Um, Hagar, a cousin who finds the old spiritual beliefs um, of the island backwards to say the least and is impatient to leave for a more modern society with its educational and economic opportunities um her daughter uh, be- uh longs to be with her secret lover <laughs> so is iona wants to be with um saint julian last child a native american who will not leave the island um so the women prepare a traditional meal for the feast which includes okra oh delicious yams and shellfish prepared at the beach um the men gather uh, nearby in groups to talk and the children and teenagers practice religious uh rituals on the beach and have a bible study session with viola that scene is my favorite scene hands down in the whole film um it's just super sweet and like shows you know the future generation being raised up and like aesthetically like and just all their chanting and like their energy, it just seems so natural. It didn't didn't even seem like a movie. It seemed like a documentary. Like everything in this film just seems supernatural. Um, not supernatural, but super natural. Okay. <laughs> um, Bilal Muhammad leads a Muslim prayer. Nan- uh, Nana evokes the spirits of the family's ancestors who worked on the island's indigo plantations. Uh, Yula and Ellie uh, or Eli. Uh, reveal the history and folklore of the slave uprising and mass suicide at Ebo Landing. The Pazant family members make their final decisions to leave the island for a new beginning or stay behind and maintain their way of life. Super sweet. I just, I don't even know what else to say. It's just, it's just such a, a, a big achievement in terms of like world cinema and just African aesthetics. Um, and, you know, I think somebody 
um, from, they, you know, have quotes on the movie posters and stuff. One of them says, this is the film we've been waiting for our whole lives. Um, and so it's just, it was just so timely and it's still so renowned today. Um, $800,000 budget. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they had, you know, not a lot to work with, but like, wow, just, they did the thing, honestly. Um, continuing on to my second film, I actually watched the short film version of this um, and it got turned into a feature. And speaking of A24, <laughs> this film got distributed by A24. We love it. <laughs> Y'all are like, oh my gosh. But um, basically it's called Skin and um, this film, it was a short um, that I watched on the plane. Like I was traveling sometime last year and I watched it on the plane. I was like, oh, we, this is good. Um, and basically it, black movies hit different though. When there's no look, <laughs> look, they hit so different. I'm like, this is not even a traditional environment to be watching a movie in, but when you do, it's just like, Ooh. you know, I watched this movie on the plane and it was so good. Like, it's just so random. Like, how did I not see this before? But anywho, um, it is a film. It was, um, it came out in 2018. Um, and it was directed and produced by Guy Native. Go on YouTube and watch it or wherever it is streaming now. But a family um, goes to goes to a lake with their friends and their tattoos basically imply that they're neo-Nazis, white supremacists. And so um, Jeffrey brags that his son Troy can shoot a target with a rifle and takes bets on the challenge. Troy successfully shoots the target. The group heads to a grocery store where Krista... Um, shops for food. That's um, his ba- baby mama girlfriend, who um, Danielle McDonald, who is in Bird Box. She did a great job in that. Um, in the checkout line, Troy sees an African American man, JD, um, holding a toy. Troy and the man smile at each other. As JD is checking out, Jeffrey notices the interaction and accuses JD of messing with his boy. This is when it gets real, and I hate it. JD denies it because he's basically like, you know, when you're in line and there's a kid and they're smiling at you and you're like, hey, what's up, man? Like, it was like that. And the white boy was literally just like playing with him. Like, there was literally nothing going on. So he denies it and is like, I wasn't even messing with your son. Like, that's not what it was. Jeffrey calls him a racial slur and JD leaves telling Jeffrey that he's the problem. So Jeffrey tells his friends about the dispute. They follow JD into the parking lot Jeffrey and his friends beat him so viciously while his wife is in the car um, calling the police. Troy watches the incident from the store as Krista frets. So basically the baby mama is like, stop it, stop it. And the little white boy is just like, I don't know what's going on. So the group leaves. JD's wife holds him in the parking lot. Y'all, I thought this man was dead. I really did. I was, I was about to cry on this plane. But then Troy um, looks out the car window and makes eye contact with JD's son, Bronny who is basically the same age as him. If you see the movie poster, it's just beautifully um, juxtaposed. Um, So the next night, Jeffrey and Troy are driving home and they find a van blocking the road. (sighs) Jeffrey walks up to the van and a group of black men abduct him. (sighs) Jeffrey is taken to the garage of a home where several black men and Bronnie drug and tattoo him over several days several days y'all imagine being tattooed people can't even last one hour 
imagine being tattooed for a few days, like days, like like, like hours at a time. <sighs> You're going to see why in a minute. JD is there recovering sometime actually I don't even okay hold on sometime later Jeffrey is thrown naked onto the same road he was abducted from he sees his reflection in a window and finds his skin tattooed in a specific way that you will get if you watch the movie I don't even want to give it away it's so good but then (laughs) Inside their home, Krista wakes up to the sound of someone outside. She loads a handgun and calls for help. Jeffrey attempts to wash his skin, but fails. Krista orders Troy to hide under the bed and not come out. Jeffrey forcefully enters the the home, which is his home, um, but they don't know it's him. Krista, seeing what appears to be a naked man... In her home, wants him to get out or she will shoot him. Jeffrey manages to communicate to Krista who he is, and she drops her weapon. A shot rings out, and Jeffrey collapses. (gasps) Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Troy stands in the doorway behind Jeffrey holding a rifle. So, (laughs) they basically turn this short into a feature um, and it's not the same exact plot, um, but it basically going into the feature that is the one that's distributed by A24 shows like this a young man who's raised by a racist um, and, you know, he's a very big heavy hitter among white supremacists. Um, he turns his back on hatred and violence to transform his life with the help of a black activist and the woman he loves. So it's kind of taking that same plot from the short that I watched and it, it, it turned it into a feature, same director. Um, but this time he was the writer, um, of the That's feature. like, uh, Neo Ned, mm-hmm. Neo Ned, Jeremy Renner's like a Nazi racist, but he falls in love with Gabrielle Union. Yo, I've never watched Gabrielle Union. Wait, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. What? Neo Ned was like that. Cause he's like racist, but like he like, Oh, this film. 2005. It's an indie. That's another indie. That reminds me of that. Okay. That. Like, okay, with like, the, the neo-Nazi. Everything. Interesting. That's a good film. Yeah. Y'all check that okay. out. Okay. Yeah, that's what that reminds me of. Yeah. Trying to talk about the... Trying to... We got these indies talking about racism. That's why we can't uh, get the 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 big heavy hitters, the the ones that are being uh, distributed on a that's wide so scale. scared to, like, you know, talk about that right 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 because i definitely wait i have seen this movie poster before mm-hmm. but gabrielle union though 2005 i mean i guess it pretty it was pretty popular then because released on dvd mm-hmm. distributed or oh, well, was distributed by some lesser known uh production companies okay i'm gonna watch that yeah. i'm definitely gonna watch that it has like a 4.5 star rating so i know oh it's yeah good. it's really good because i feel like there's okay. so many movies that talk about that stuff Oh, and another one, um, Taj, you will love this movie. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Night Comes On. It's on Amazon Prime. Okay. So this came out in 2018. Oh, this movie. I was going to watch this. He's released from juvenile detention, and then a yes. teen 13-year-old sister embark on a quest to avenge the death of their mother. It came out in 2018, too. Dominique Fishback. It so, plays Angel. It's so good. That's on Amazon Prime. If oh, I'm definitely. I think this is in my, my cart, actually. Okay. I definitely I, meant I to watch this. Movie. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm gonna watch that. Y'all need to yeah. recommend some movies to y'all's friends. Come on now. Yes, please put me on because I don't be knowing. I'm I'm like a hermit. All right. <laughs> but basically, yeah, this feature was basically spun out of um that short. So it just shows him falling in love with this woman, her and her three daughters, and then he um he's he goes like through painful treatments to remove the tattoos covering his entire face and body and um it's it's actually based on a true story of byron widner so this this film is it's a little bit different than the short but it's on that same that same wavelength that same genre um so um yeah i i love the undoing um the damage of neo-nazi beliefs love it um so i'm you know watch the feature with me watch the short first watch the short first and then watch the feature um last film the fits another good one um (laughs) this was um directed um and also written by um anna rose homer um this was her feature debut and um this tells the story of tony an 11 year old tomboy who struggles to fit into a girl's dance troupe which um you know they begin to suffer from an inexplicable epidemic of violent fits um so um yeah it it's a very interesting plot. Um, it's, it's not, it's not traditional, I would say. Um, it's very, very unique. There's not a whole bunch of dialogue in which case the sounds and like that type of stuff really is like something that your brain fixates on. Um, yeah, I just, wow. Um, it's great. So basically it shows Tony, um, training with her brother Jermaine in the boxing gym at Lincoln Community Center in Cincinnati. And she starts to notice the girls' um, dance team that is there. And she, you know, she notices them and she's like, I want to do what they're doing, basically. So every little girl in the world. <laughs> um, and so she, you know, because they all practice in that same gym. So she watches them. And um, the next day, Tony goes to the empty gym and starts to dance, mimicking the actions of the other girls who she saw earlier. Jermaine interrupts her to ask if she's ready to go hit the stairs where they go continue training. And he tells her that he saw her um, dancing and encourages her to try out for the team, basically. Um, And um, yeah, so then... Um, after that, Tony goes to the tryouts and observes a team and another group of young hopefuls. The team um, captains, leg, legs, and charisma teach the girls the clapback call, um, which they try to do with little success. So Tony continues to practice the routine in the empty gym. Legs comes in to pick up some water bottles and asks Tony to go fill them before practice. So she becomes friends with two other girls, BZ and Maya. During practice, Legs collapses and appears to have a seizure before she is hospitalized. Charisma takes over the practices before she too suffers from a hysterical fit. Later, Tony tells Jermaine about the seizures, and Jermaine warns Tony to not start acting like Charisma as she's the craziest one out of them all. Um, Charisma, I believe, in the film. I think she likes Jermaine or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later on, Tony aggressively practices the dance routine, um, smiling as she begins to master it. And then the next day at practice, she looks disappointed because um, she hears that it's canceled. So she and BZ play in the empty building and try on their new uniforms. 
They talk about the seizure episodes and question whether they were caused by some sort of boyfriend disease. So cute. Um, The next day, the supervisor announces that they suspect that there might be something in the water, so they should only drink from the water cooler in the boxing gym. Girls continue to have seizure episodes. Tony watches a newscaster reporting on the fit, stating that city officials are working with the county health department to investigate the case. Um, Later, Tony, BZ, and Maya listen in as a group of girls talking about what each other's episodes felt like. BZ and Maya note that the older girls have been getting sick. Maya tells Tony that she wants to know how the fits feel since they seem inevitable. Later at practice, Maya has an episode. Tony argues with BZ saying that Maya wanted it to happen to her. Tragic. An official tells the girls and their parents that she has found nothing wrong with the water. BZ is called in to meet with the doctor and Tony watches through the window as she begins to seize. Later, BZ and Maya talk about their experience with the fits as Tony listens. Tony skips practice and goes to stand in the empty pool. And then she um, walks back towards the gym and she begins to float in the air. The team watches in shock as she enters the room, floating and flailing her arms with her eyes closed. The film then cuts to shots of Tony and the dance team in uniform performing on the stairs in the gym, the boxing ring, and the empty pool. It then cuts back to Tony, still flailing in the air before she falls to the ground. She opens her eyes and smiles. So the film is really, really abstract and just, you know, oh my gosh. It On Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 98%. And, you know, everybody on Rotten Tomatoes loves stuff that is, like, unconventional. Um, it has, like, a 8 out of 10, widely acclaimed by critics. And um, the site's uh, consensus says, as gripping as it is unique, the thrillingly kinetic the Fitz marks debuting writer-director Anna Rose Homer as a singular talent. It's like she's an auteur now. Like this is like a whole, you know, like she's making a genre for herself. Um, and so Variety called it a promising debut future um, and praised it for its meticulous mood of um, psychological isolation and beguiling mystery. So um, it got nominated for a lot of awards and uh, won, you know, about – basically the same amount as it was nominated as well um and so i'm very proud of her and like excited for i don't know if y'all haven't seen the movie like please go watch it and like you know make your own analysis about like what you think that you know that means because when i was watching i was like oh it's you know an access thing about you know how water you know in you know, predominantly black communities is so bad. And then it went somewhere else with the psychological thing and like, you know, adolescence and being a young girl and wanting to be like everybody else. And what does that mean? Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. So go watch it. And those are my films. Great. Well, let's get into our next segment. Personal Everest. Now, when one makes a big summit up a mountain, say Mount Everest, for example, There's a set of skills and tools set that one must master or adhere to with a great team around them to get the job done. So the personal Everest for a director making everyone's favorite hipster little indie darlings would definitely um, have to be able to be a little offbeat, a little avant-garde in order to be a refreshing take on a story or a topic or a subject matter, while at the same time telling a timely story that's relatable enough to be enjoyed alongside bigger budget commercial successes. 
Um, because I feel like when you have an indie film that's quote unquote important, what you want to do is to be able to have it ride that wave of relatability to draw the eyes um, and ears of audiences and listeners. So what do you think, Tosh? Yeah, I think that's like a common thing with indies is like, oh, it's, you know, it's refreshing, it's new, it's unique, and it's um, thought provoking. Um, And I think, you know, I don't know, it is like, you know, indies are made by like hipsters with these crazy ideas for like plots and movies. And, you know, I think that's how the aesthetic is now. And that's how it's branded. But I mean, it could be a lot of pressure, I guess, to like, want to make an indie and you're like is this weird enough and I think as long as you have a good story and you tell it in a way that's personal to you especially as someone who's who's like an emerging director writer whoever Mm -hmm. um you're starting out and I think as long as you're telling it how you want to tell it and not just trying to fit with the mold whether the mold is like very linear and like I don't know basic or like you know quote-unquote normal or if it's, you know, very outlandish or unique or whatever, like whatever type of story you want to tell, just make sure it's it's using your voice and you're not trying to be like another film, but that it's unique in its own way. Because everybody has their favorite, you know, indies and like the reason why it's their favorite. So, yeah, just stick to just stick to your story and like tell it how you want to tell it. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Well, thank you all for listening. Please tune in next week. We will be hitting the road. Got to be on the I-10 by 10. We are discussing. On the road again. On the road again. I'm so excited. Road trip. Got to be on the I-10 by 10. Yes. We're talking about road trip movies. I am so excited. And it will be a special episode because it's my birthday next week. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. I better comment. Happy birthday. It's my birthday. My birthday. Feel my wrath. (laughs) Please feel free to follow us on social media to stay updated on this podcast or just to write me happy birthday. Um, (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Shea Butter Pop. Follow us on Instagram at Shea Butter Popcorn or follow us individually. You can follow me at Chelsea J Music on Twitter or Instagram. And you can follow me at Tajiana underscore on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. All one word. All lowercase. Let us know what you thought. Yes, DM us. Bother us. And bother Chelsea. Tell her happy birthday. Thank you. You guys have a week. I'll be I'll be reading the comments. Yes. I'm DMing every follower from the podcast. <laughs> okay, no, that's doing too much. It's okay. All but right. I will be looking. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. Bye.